Please join me in prayer. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Today's New Testament reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. Listen now for God's word to you and to me. This is Jesus speaking. As the Father has loved me, 
so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No greater love than this, no one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Love. This is the commandment on which all other commandments rest, that we love one another as Christ has loved us. It's the reason we are here to be ambassadors of Christ's love. Love your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you do yourself. Love one another. This is the commandment of Christ to the church. So I thought on this Sunday, it might be a good idea for us to check in, to see how we're doing on this core commandment. Anecdotal evidence would seem to indicate we have some room for improvement. Not only are Christians, like our society at large, divided among social and political lines, but a study by Barna in 2014, a study of non-churched folks, revealed that many people, many of those who do not attend church, do not belong to a church family, they actually have positive views of the church. While that's true, a substantial number of those people who have positive views of the church have no idea what Christians have accomplished in the nation, either for better or for worse. They may think well of us, but they can't see clearly what we have to offer the world. In the study, when the unchurched were asked to describe both positive and negative contributions of Christianity in America, almost half of the people surveyed could not identify a single positive impact. A few, 22% of those surveyed to be exact, appreciated the church's influence when it comes to serving the poor, while a whopping 8% appreciated that we help people to believe in God. The hard truth is that the unchurched, the nuns, are growing increasingly indifferent towards the church, uninspired by our ministry and mission, and unsure of what we stand for. 
And the pandemic, in my opinion, has only exacerbated and accelerated this trend. People don't hate the church. They're indifferent, which frankly is a whole lot worse. When pressed to associate words with Christians, study after study has revealed that non-Christians, especially younger ones, millennials who are now 40 on down, when they're asked to choose words, when they're pressed to give words to describe Christians, the words they most often use are three, judgmental, selfish, and hypocritical. Loving is not a word people use to define who we are, which is amazing. Because love is what made us, love is what claimed us, love is what empowers us each and every day to live out the faith. Christians should be people, we should be people defined by love. And yet here we are, regardless of how well, and I think we do this pretty well, love one another in this space or in our families, out there in the world, people aren't convinced. So I I, I want to wrestle with the question of how we can get better at loving one another, loving the world as Christ loved us. How can we become people that are defined by love? One of the more interesting mystics in church history is a woman named Julian of Norwich. We don't really know her real name. She is named after the church in Norwich, England, St. Julian's, where she had a little anchor hold that she called her home. Her anchor hold had one window that looked into the sanctuary and another window where the people on the street could stop by and ask her questions for support and prayer. On the night of May 8th, 1373, Julian experienced her showings, visions, showings as she called them. Following these showings, Julian lived in that anchor hold for 20 years, trying to process and communicate what she experienced that night when she experienced the presence of the living God. Julian wrote about these showings in her book, Revelations of Divine Love, the first book published in English by a woman. Julian wrote of a compassionate, relational, and joyful God. She writes, For before he made us, he loved us. And when we were made, we loved him. And this is our substantial goodness, the substantial goodness in us of the Holy Spirit, It is nothing we create, it is our substance. God revealed to me that there may and there will be nothing at all between God and the soul. And in this endless love, the human soul is kept whole, as all the matter of creation is kept whole. I love that line. In this endless love, the human soul is kept whole. Today's passage from the Gospel of John follows Jesus' famous riff on the vine and the branches. Both passages speak to all that is possible when one is literally caught up in Christ's love for the world. Both remind us that our capacity to love others, to follow these commands, is directly linked to our intimacy with God, our friendship with God, an intimacy and a friendship that's initiated and sustained by God, not us. We don't choose God. God chooses us. This, I would argue, is the core of the gospel message. God's movement towards us is always and forever marked by love. 
We profess this each and every Sunday in word and in song, but let's be honest. We know that far too few of us, myself included, live into this love to the extent that Jesus commands us to. Few of us love as Christ loves us. Few of us live as if we are caught up in love. Now, from my experience and, and what I've learned, I think there are two primary reasons People find it difficult to love as Christ commands. Generally speaking, we either either do not believe we're worthy of God's love or we do not believe we need God's love. For those who do not believe they are worthy of God's love, we struggle with the narrative that says because of our choices, our belief, our sexuality, or our sins, we as individuals are not deserving of God's all-encompassing, all-redeeming love. Someone along the way told us we're not good enough for God, and we believed it. Of course, this is hogwash, but as we all know, words have power. And as we struggle to believe that we are loved and accepted by God, as we are, it's really hard to love others as they are too. Now, for those of us who don't believe we need God's love, we are battling a narrative that says we are doing just fine on our own, thank you very much. We are good and kind people. We are successful people. We do more good than harm in the world. Instead of seeing how we contribute in small and big ways to the brokenness of our world, instead of seeing how we support consciously and unconsciously systems of operation, systems of violence and greed and destruction, we we narrow our focus to convince ourselves that we are doing just fine. Of course, this narrow belief not only cuts us off from other people in their moments of need and brokenness, it also, I think, diminishes our capacity, our ability to access, to utilize, to get caught up in God's love for the world. As St. Augustine said, it is not that we keep God's commandments and that then God loves us, but that God loves us and then we keep God's commandments. That is that grace which is revealed to the humble but hidden from the proud. The hard, liberating truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we do not have the resources to love within ourselves that we need to love others as Christ commands us. But, this is the good news, within God's embrace, there is a well of love from which we can draw, which which is why any attempt, I think, to love as God would love us is simply impossible without God's help. Now, to to clarify something here, I am not saying that non-Christians, non-believers cannot love. They are capable of love, of course. All human beings are capable of love. But the kind of love that Christ commands of us, a love that says lay down your life, a love that says forgive over and over and over again, a love that has no limits, no boundaries, no barriers, (laughs) that kind of love, I think that's impossible without God's help. My favorite metaphor Jesus uses to describe discipleship is that of fishing. As Christ's disciples, you all know this, we are called to be fishers of people. And our tool for this work, in the examples given to us by Christ, the tool we use in our fishing is a net, a net that we are called to cast deeply and in all directions, and all sides of the boat. We do not fish with dynamite, as fun as that would be, for that would kill the fish as well as catch them. And we are not called to fish with a rod and reel, 
baiting the line with a particular lure to catch a particular fish, to be cast in a particular spot by us. No, we are called to catch with a net, a net that requires a team of people for it to be lowered into the water and then drawn back out again. A net that, when pulled out into the boat, will bring in all kinds of creatures. That's the image. Just as we are caught up in God's love, we are called to catch up others with the same kind of love. Now, in today's passage, you heard the word abide. The Greek word for abide in today's passage, a word that occurs throughout John's gospel, appears here in a verb form that is usually used for simple commands like fill the water jugs or fetch the donkey. But in this case, the use of this particular form of abide means that the action the verb is describing is the result of something that happened in the past. And it gives rise to the action, this something that happened in the past gives rise to the action that you are commanded to take in the present. In short, we abide in God's love. God's initiated that, which means we are now commanded and equipped to share that love that we have been given in the same way that God shared it with us, freely and without hesitation. Love one another as I have loved you. A few years ago at the Chautauqua Institution, I had the joy of hearing sermons every day for a week from Father Gregory Boyle, the Jesuit priest who started Homeboy Ministries in Los Angeles, the largest rehabilitation ministry to gang members in the world. Boyle, that year, had brought with him to Chautauqua for the week several of the former gang members with whom he now works. I attended a small gathering where two of them, Marcos and Jason, told their stories to a small group of people. Both, they shared, were born into poverty. Both grew up without fathers. Both dropped out of school to join gangs. And both ended up in prison not long after fathering children of their own. In time, both Marcos and Jason had their own Damascus Road experience when they met Father G, as they call him, and learned about homeboy ministries. Instead of the shame and the violence that defined their gang life, at Homeboy, Marcos and Jason discovered the kind of unconditional love and support that they had never before experienced in their life. As part of the program, they got jobs, earned their GEDs, and worked side by side by former gang rivals. In other words, they joined the Confederacy of the Humble and became members of the community of the beloved, as Father Boyle likes to say. They were loved and accepted, and it changed their life. Jason that day shared that coming to Chautauqua was the third time he had traveled with Father G. The first time, the first trip he took was to a juvenile detention center. It was hard, Jason said, because I had been there myself as a kid and knew exactly what their lives were like inside. I so wanted to help them change. But before he went inside, Father G said to me, now listen, we're not going to go in there and scare them straight. We're going to care them straight. We're just going to love them. And that, it turns out, is enough, more than enough, actually, to turn someone's life completely around. How different would the world look? How different would this church look? How different would your family look 
if disciples of Jesus Christ made it their number one priority to love, to lay down their lives, their power, and their privilege for other people? What would it look like if Christians were known as people who put love above all else, above purity of thought and motives, above politics and party, above money and security, above being right and on the side of victory? What would happen if we chose love in every single circumstance? It wouldn't always be pretty, that's for sure. The world would push back on us from time to time as we valued love above all else. But imagine the difference we could make in our community and in our world if we were a people known for love. Amen.